Welcome to the Redacted Culture Cast. This is episode 61, and the guest I have today uh, has had experience that spans more than just one realm of this culture, although uh, I, always, I always let you introduce yourself. So go ahead. Hey, what's up, man? I really do appreciate you having me on. My name is Justin. Uh, you'll find me on the internet as Controlled Pairs. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of a, a professional nerd of sorts. I have a background in, in military service. Um, you and I you know, share some lineage in our own backgrounds. Um, and, you know, been at that for 10 plus years and, uh, on the side, I'm an avid gamer and I make online content in the digital space, mostly focus, focusing on, uh, combat simulation, tactical shooters, PC games. And, you know, it's a, a big chunk of his entertainment. A lot of it's applying things that we've learned in our own experiences to a digital environment and looking at the ways and experimenting with the ways that we can use those digital products to, to experiment and develop TTPs, uh, and just have fun. Yeah, you know, um, before we get any further in, I'm just going to do the plug for how things go. And so if you're uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, thank you for joining us. If you want to support what we do, merch is available at redactedllc.com. There's a merch page. We're in the heat of season one, operation two. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that if you figured it out yet. Other than that, um, if you we do have we just started a locals page that's redactedculture.locals.com but other than that let's get straight into it and I, and I want to jump onto your jump jump right into that angle of like the interaction between video games and gun culture because mm. um i think I, I think of two really key examples of how i think you can kind of gain lessons or like like look at people and how they think in video games and one of them is for a very casual sense this this, this call of duty Warzone game uh, when i say yeah. this it's not like i don't play it but like yeah you know, Call of Duty Warzone is, is an interesting game because, like, the meta weapon is the meta we, we see in, like, equipment gear is, like, it's something that does a decent best at everything. Mm. And you really see how, like, people approach problems, like, moving from a rural area to an urban area with a high-risk-reward thing. And so, like, I know that there's a, there's a, there's a certain line that you don't cross when, it, when you talk about, you know, video games in real life is that, you don't cross the idea that, well, if it's right in a video game, therefore it's right in real life. Maybe it's a tactic or a piece of gear, right? So like, you know, mm. the, I, I, bu I bought my first handgun when a long time ago because it was inspired by a video game. And, and well, it turns out it wasn't really what it was. Yeah. Uh, but like, how have you seen that? How do you, how do you portray that? How would you describe that like interaction between being both a professional or being a professional or having professional background in the, in the military, but then also playing video games and seeing yeah. the connection. I think um, I was, I, I became interested in games and service kind of about the same time. Um, and then on the gun side, like I, I grew up in a rural area in uh, you know, in central and uh, West Texas. And so I was exposed to guns pretty early in life. Uh, I was exposed to games, you know, in my adolescence, I uh, ended up attending a, you know, <laughs> It's funny looking back on it now, but I ended up attending a, uh, a boarding school, military boarding school, you know, in my adolescence for high school and kind of all of those things kind of coalesced together, resulted in me ultimately choosing to join the military and, and do that as a career. And then, you know, continued gaming and continued shooting throughout that entire time. Um, on the game side, certainly it's just like it's entertainment first. 
I, I think there's something to be said for it's a recruitment tool on the service side. I think it's also an exposure to firearms and equipment uh, and tactics and, and maneuver as well for just like the broader population. Um, you know, you've said you, you know, purchased your first handgun as a result of a game. I've, that's something I've heard over and over again. And I, I meet gun guys now who have builds that are clones of like whatever their favorite kid is in Call of Duty or whatever. So like, I think that's inherently a good thing if it's getting people exposed to equipment and involved in the space. Uh, that's a positive for gun culture as a whole. Um, the tactics and like lessons learned in TTP stuff is really dangerous, I think. Um, but it, but it's equally interesting, and, and I think it's an avenue for experimentation. I think a lot of it depends on the platform. Would I recommend that someone go and you know get extraordinarily good at Call of Duty and then go attempt that in a gunfight? No, that's probably a good way to have a very short life. Uh, but there are, I think digital tools some of those are games some of those are simulations that are designed more for experimentation more for um, you know ttp development um, the department of defense of course uses digital simulations uh, pretty ubiquitously to to develop tactics and you know figure out what combination of forces and force ratios would be successful in different conflicts and we see some of those um, tools that are being used in the department of defense matriculating into the civilian market and you know in, in the content that I make, a lot of it's more centered on the latter. Um, still certainly have a, a, a good time playing those games. It's still certainly entertaining. Uh, but I found over the last few years, kind of my interest has more migrated to the simulation side more so than the kind of casual gaming side. Okay, so then we're going to have nothing in common because I'm a filthy casual. <laughs> Just nothing in common. I mean, I, I still, I'm still playing on a console, so good lord. Hey. What it, I've still got a console upstairs. It's all right. I still get a couple hours of Call of Duty in, you know, every once in a while. Thanks. I won't take that as condescension. <laughs> <laughs> but that being the case, uh, so here's a, here, like, so here's a, let me, I'm going to describe this and tell me what you think about it. Sure. Um, you know, C, CQB is kind of a contentious subject within gun culture. And I think part of the, re my, my, my theory on why it's, it's so contentious is because it's sort of been pitched as this black magic. Of like, if you, you know, like, like being good at the, at the CQB is kind of like being a Jedi, you have some sort of special ability. And so like our special operators are like CQB specialists or snipers or whatever. Yeah. And so like, so, and so when I, when I would describe that way, I, I think of, of like video game influence being a little bit secular or circular with culture, but then also like for also as an example you know, games are based on a, 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 a well-performing military-style shooting game has to have some sense of what people call realism. And realism mm -hmm. is a tricky combination of aesthetic choices um, and gameplay mechanics that mimic what people think is real. Yeah. And there's that, like, for when it comes to, like, a CQB shooter, probably the most popular one right now across the world is going to be Rainbow Six. At least it's been that. It's been a big title for a long time. And you see this thing. I've seen this thing pretty common that separates kind of two tiers of players is that the players who are a little bit better off approach doorways with their optics up, ready to shoot. They, they're already aiming down sights. And as they either break a threshold or they open they move around a piece of cover they're already bringing their firearm up or they already have their their video game weapon aimed down so that they're one step ahead whereas you know like newer players tend to rush through the barrier and then bring up then look through their sights and that, and that seems to be yeah. like that's it's a really good way that i've seen that we, like application to real world is that 
it, that same kind of principle applies in the real world of what am I focused on? Am I focused on being effective and engaging my opponent? Or am I like trying to get into the room and then do the thing? <laughs> have, yeah. have, you, have you seen that like portray anywhere else? Yeah, I think I, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, for whatever re reason, CQB is contentious. Like it's that hot button issue that is uh, is quickly debated um, the moment it comes up in in gun circles or you know tactical nerd circles. Um, I think there's certainly there there are some some games and simulations out there that do a better job of simulating it or representing something that comes you know approaches realism or authenticity. Uh, Rainbow Six is like a it's a very it's a popular title. It it went huge on like the the esports scene in the latest like installment Rainbow Six Siege. Um, there's some other games out there that I think do a little bit better, but there's no doubt like a correlation between success and in those you know digital titles in what we would call just like executing basic fundamentals and, and providing security and keeping your gun up and leading with your muzzle. Um, and whereas like in that digital space and that like two dimensional space working like a mouse and a keyboard or a controller, you know, are you going to develop the skills necessary to enter and clear a room? No, you're not. However, um, you will look at a threshold and it won't be a foreign thing to you. I think your, your brain begins to develop certain, um, certain pattern loops and identify threat spaces a little bit better the more that you see them. And if that's in a digital environment, I do think that some of that translates um, over into the real world. But again, like that digital space where there's no consequence, you're not getting hit by a sim round, you're not you know, getting recocked in a live fire with first sergeant yelling you from the catwalk, you're not uh, dying in combat. Like, when there's no consequences, you, you also have the freedom to develop very dangerous habits. And so I would be very hesitant to, to encourage folks to play a bunch of Rainbow Six and then go get in a gunfight, you know? <laughs> yeah, generally speaking, I think most of gun culture has matured past that stage mm -hmm. of like, just because you're good in Call of Duty doesn't mean you're yeah. good in the real world. Like I'm yeah. actually, I'm, I'm actually relatively confident that I'm a better shooter in the real world than I am on video games. Okay, that's big. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the probably because I change video games every so many month, yeah. months, but I've been shooting an AR-15 for 15 years or 14 yeah. years now. So like, or some variation of it. So like, you know, it's, 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 it's not quite riding a bike. It's that like, well, you know, in the last 15 years, I've played a Halo game. I've played Destiny. I've played sure. Call of Duty. I've played yep. Elder Scrolls Morrowind. I've played, mm. you know, and so like I've, I've played different games, but like I haven't, I haven't. I've, but I've used not one M4, but I've used an AR-15 style platform for 15 yeah. years. And so like, yeah. you know, and 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 focusing on one set of principles, whether it's shooting competition or hunting focus or something like that. Sure. Or training. And so, yeah, I think I, th I even even put that way, like video games can be a helpful teaching tool, but they're not a helpful information tool. They don't like inform you of what the thing is. They just kind of like, OK, see how this is. See how that you experience this in this game. Well, now translate that to the real world or vice versa. Sure. Uh, yeah. that, I think it has a medium that can cross the line, but you can't go from one to the other. Yeah, it's it's helpful. Like it, it's a tool um, in, in some of the stuff that I've focused on. You know, really over the last couple of years, uh, there's this little project on PC called Door Kickers, and it basically gives you like a top-down isometric um, room with like the uh, or view with the roof cut off of a structure, and you can individually control the movement paths, um, weapon systems, kit, and everything of like this this group of assaulters, uh, and you can you basically have perfect situational awareness, but it turns into this big CQB geometry problem, mm -hmm. and where I found value in relaying that information, to my audience is like, hey, you know, you're not watching these videos isn't you know 
necessarily teach you how to go do CQB, but it does show you like a window into my brain. And like when I see this problem and I see these geometries, um, you know, it helps inform where I'm, you know, putting my isolation, putting my containment, which side I'm breaching from with what method uh, and then how the, the clearance proceeds from there. So it at least kind of gives you a window into like what that tactical decision making could look like and the type of problems that you're going to encounter and, uh, and, and kind of helps set some of those patterns in your thought processes. So would you be able to explain the idea of like geometry within a, 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 a structure in some way that doesn't sound like some sort of goofy magic spell thing? Because I've heard it described to me many times. And then I've seen it through like, you know, the 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 top down isometric approach or like the whiteboard, yeah. with the square and you're drawing yeah. where people go and points of domination and all this stuff. It just it just sounds like something people I've I, I'm not saying it's it doesn't have any validity. What I am saying is I've heard it stated in a way that it's supposed to be like, you know what I'm talking about? It's geometry mm. and then going, no, I have no idea what you're referring to. Yeah, not, I think like. It, it turns into like this like tactical gobbledygook that means nothing and, and people just uh, pontificate with words that sort of exist but sort of don't exist to to try to do more in pressing than they are trying to like actually communicate. Um, and yeah, geometry is definitely one of those words where it, it sort of has meaning, but uh, but only in context. Um, I guess if you had to summarize it, it's like where you need to point your gun to make sure there is not a bad guy that is going to harm you emerging from an area that you have not yet observed. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, but yeah, that's a that's it's one of those CQB isms. Like we invent these words; they're not written in a manual anywhere. It's not like in an FM. Um, it's just like one instructor said it at a class, and it hopped its way around social media and is now you know common practice. But we don't know, actually know what we're saying. <laughs> so I I have personal beef against the use of the phrase uh, points of domination. Hmm. I have a personal beef of, against this idea of like strong walling versus points of domination. And the, yeah. and, and, and perhaps it's the argument that goes between the two because, and, and, and to let, let me explain. I, I think that when we talk about points of domination, we, we tend to talk about it as in like, this is what it looks like. So you get, you get a go in the shoot house. Yeah. You walk, one guy walked down the wall and he saw, he cleared the dead zone. And so we're good. Or he cleared the danger zone or the red, whatever, whatever the terminology yeah. uses. Dead now. space, red space, red zone, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Whereas in like in reality, I think in the, re, in the, re, in the real world that like the, what the, what it's trying to do is, is trying to condense a principle mm -hmm. into like a catchphrase that gets then turned into a quotable phrase. I mean, you could also take your name, like controlled pairs make sense when you understand how you shoot and how you unfortunately or sure. you, how you, you use bullets to do the thing that they're, they're they're there for but like you can also boil that down into a, a, a meaningless phrase mm. and so like i see I, I when i see this this issue with like the the points of domination is is dude you know what a room looks like people <laughs> You know what a room looks like. There's going to be furniture in the room, and you and 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 people will hide behind furniture, right? Yeah. It, it's going to happen. So, so instead of trying to do a points of domination, try to it, it's 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 a okay. You've entered into a room, and now you need to figure out. Now you need, but the room isn't clear because there's areas you can't see, and you have to be able to make a decision and communicate with your team without like being predictable by an fm or being fm like a field manual or by being you know doctrinally incapable of making decisions because of analysis paralysis and so yeah, yeah I, I think like one of the challenges because points of domination certainly a military term um mm -hmm. 
And I think like one of the challenges inherent in military training is like we're trying to mass produce people who do things the exact same way because you're managing at scale and mm-hmm. you have to teach these like, you know, CQB is dangerous. Obviously, it gets more and more dangerous when you're teaching 18 year old privates fresh out of high school to do it. And it's the first time they've ever held, uh, you know, an AR platform and or you're training them. Yeah. And, and yeah. And you're putting these these uh, these young people into rooms with crew serves or, bolt, uh, you know, belt feds uh, and saying, go get them, boys. Um and so, yeah, you, you do a lot of things for the sake of being able to repeat the same process over and over again. A lot of it's influenced by safety and simplicity. And, and that young private has to be able to go out to the force, um, fall in under a team leader who's only senior to him by, you know, two or three years uh, and repeat that process over and over again. But, yeah, there, there's inherent risk in, in adhering to any dogmatic system mm-hmm. that is not problem focused, but is instead uh, process focused. There's no doubt of that. Yeah. I, and I I know we were talking about this briefly before, but another issue that people run into with the CQB thing is, is, is one format of how the Dunning Kruger effect is described. And that is the, like, you get your first little bit of experience and then you think you're, you got it. And then you, you realize you don't. So you kind of get pushed back down and then, then you get up, you go up the second slope of, 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 of capability um, and I mean, that also has kind of a correlation I, that would, I think there's an easy correlation of that to, to video games as well. Is that like, you may be the best in the casual lobbies, but once you get yeah. into the, the professional lobbies, like, <laughs> sure. it's, it's an entirely different game. Like there are people, there are people that I could play a game against and I wouldn't know whether they're cheating or they're just that good. Yeah. And I, I think there's a parallel, I mean, in, in a lot of kind of the things that I'm interested in and in where we share interests, it's true of gun culture as well. Um, you know, I was much more like soldier and nerd before I was like gun guy. Um, and, and really like, you know, I grew up shooting, you know, bolt action deer rifles and, and killing deer with my dad and, and, you know, shooting doves in like fields in Texas. And that interest didn't really mature into quote unquote tactical shooting, <laughs> if you'll forgive the usage, uh, until I started, you know, to serve in the army. And then after exposure to those types of platforms and getting out to the range a little bit and then going to units where shooting was a priority rather than, you know, a, an inconvenience uh, and shooting a hell of a lot more and being surrounded by guys who shoot a lot, um, that interest developed. I started buying my own firearms. I started training a little bit um, on my own, but that was all very much secondary. So by the time, like I got more interested in firearms outside of the military, I, I, thought of myself as having some requisite level of expertise. Because after all, like I was, you know, working in in some of the most uh, elite organizations in the world, surrounded by the best shooters in the world, so I thought, and um, and, and training at this really high level. And while some of that was true insofar as like I was surrounded by very talented people, that doesn't magically mean that like I have this superhuman ability with a firearm. Uh, And it wasn't until I started like going to the local range and training with civilians and and folks that are doing this as a hobby and putting a lot more rounds down range than I was at work um, Mm -hmm. that I realized like how far I really had to go to, you know, achieve a level of proficiency that I could be satisfied with. And I'm I'm certainly not even there yet. Um, Yeah. But so that like the whole Dunning-Kruger thing, uh, it's rampant. Yeah, and and hopefully, like, uh, there was a I had a, a fellow on the show a while ago, and his, his name was Austin. He introduced this idea of like called tactical maturity, and we all know that the word tactical is a little, it's yeah. a little cringeworthy, but you, yeah, you know, you got to use it every once in a while. And he was talking about it in a reference that, if I can remember it correctly, was something like, you know, skill is being able to do the activity uh, or, or having, you know, being able to do different things whether it's a you know a speed reload or a tactical mm-hmm. reload or a, or a or a deliberate clear versus a, a dynamic clear or whatever the words that when you have yeah. options right 
Whereas yep. like maturity is like being able to look, being able to approach the problem and pick the right solution and, and being able to decide between multiple options. And so being able, being able to effectively decide between multiple methods of accomplishing a task and being able to effectively choose the best one. And then when that, uh, like when it applies to gun culture, I do think that I'm seeing a much, I am seeing more maturity being approached to it where it's, mm. it's less about headhunting uh, Instagram to find somebody who did something dumb and then sending it to all my friends and say, look how dumb this guy is. And more about like trying to figure out how to do it. And then like maybe doing it in your house or whatever environment you're at and try. And I yeah. think we're trying to move away from the, that guy doesn't know how to shoot at mentality to the, uh, how do I figure out how to do this or, and, yeah. and not do this, like enter through a doorway, but like train or, or do something more than just flat range stuff. And, and, it's it's good just it's a process it takes time yeah no i i think it, that like that natural maturation of the culture is is an inherently good thing i think that people who claim to have expertise should be held to high standards um that does not mean that every clip you find on social media should be you know uh, subjected to just indiscriminate roast by folks who aren't entirely qualified to to do the roasting but i do but i certainly think that um trying to find the good in what is being shared online uh pursuing those individuals who are openly sharing information and encouraging growth um and providing you know not just um not just oratory but in, in rhetoric but instead like practical steps that you can take to improve your capability get your hands on the right stuff and use it appropriately um I, i'm seeing that trend as well and I, I certainly think that that is a that's definitely a good thing yeah i know orion training group amongst others are doing are opening up their classes to open enrollment uh mm -hmm. and that and so you're seeing like cqb oriented classes to it to a more a larger audience let's just call it an audience even though it's a larger set of students uh, and there is and like if if you look back at 2015 there was a pretty hard door there was a pretty there's a pretty solid wall between yeah. what instructors taught civilians and what they taught you know professionals right yeah uh and I, that 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 berlin wall has kind of come down yeah it certainly seems so which I think is good, though. Like, so coming from even a professional side, what are things that you see going on in like the citizen training side where you see openings for somebody of your background to be able to present or bring something to the table in regards to training or um, even like on the video game side? Like, you know, how would. Yeah, I, I think um, there's, you know, I. I was humbled very quickly when I saw proficient civilian shooters out shooting guys who I thought were like top tier. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think like the value proposition from the military side is everything else. Sure, there's some world-class, you know, uh, shooters in, in the service and they're either guys who are doing it on their own time or they're coming from elite units or special mission units. Um, and, and they'll always have their place in like the, in the marksmanship realm. Um, but the, the skills that are universal in the military are, it's the, it's this, it's the other stuff. Like it's the small unit tactics, it's the field craft. Um, you know, it, it's the, the operations process and intelligence collection and information collection and information operations, um, and sustainment and logistics and transportation and communication. Like it's all those other warfighting functions that are second nature to the profession, um, that are, 
are rarely exposed on, uh, or you know, that civilians just don't have access to because there aren't any parallels for the most part, or not many parallels in the civilian world that are doing those things in a, you know, in a way designed to, to win conflicts. Yeah, I think the idea of winning a conflict even then kind of gets in the way because I don't think people are going to a training course to go win, you know, no. right? I don't think I, I really don't think people are, are I don't, I, well, they're with exceptions, mind you, I, <laughs> I, I generally doubt people go attend a training course with John Lovell, Core, uh, core Precision, wait, yeah, Core Perform, I'm getting a name mixed up. Um, or like, you know, one of these, these training organizations, I really doubt people are going to one of those so that they can like go fight Russians. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there may be the odd exception here and there, but generally speaking, it, I, so yeah, like it, it does streamline mobilization though in extremis, you know, it's, uh, it's nice to have that capacity. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I think the other part that people are, uh, we're, we're seeing that at least I am, is that there's, there's a sense of cultural community building. Like there's like, Oh, oh we yeah. have. We have similar interests. We have similar values. Yep. Uh, we have similar focuses in life. You know, like you have this interest. I have this interest. I can help you here. You can help me here. Given the the uh, civilian industrial complex isn't exactly as lucrative as others, but hey, sure. we try. Um, sure. We, we try. Yeah. The in yeah the, the conflict thing is people train for a variety of reasons. Um, the beauty of living here is you can train for whatever reason you want to, uh, but mm -hmm. you can go train. Uh, and I think that like obtaining capability, making your yourself more capable for yourself, your your family, your community, whatever your motivation is, even if it's a freaking hobby, great, go out and pursue your hobby. Um, whatever that justification is, is sufficient. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you want to go become more capable is like an inherently good thing. And that is okay. And you should, you should go do it and you should be unashamed and you should do it, uh, you know, with, with a, with a happy heart and go off and, and, you know, become more capable, go do the thing. I think that's good. Um, the as far as like the the barriers on on the civilian side, like there's always going to be that stuff by the sheer nature of the way that the government has um, has categorized it that will be inaccessible to the civilian market, um, and we can debate you know the the merits and the uh, the detractions from that, but those things will always exist. I think the military still has a place in teaching all those other kind of. Um, I think military professionals have a place in making a lot of that other stuff available. The other stuff being like, again, like the sustainment, the comms, the, the land navigation, the small unit tactics. Um, and, and I, I certainly, I've started to see that trend already. I think OT, you know, Orion training group and Jared, those guys have started doing some small unit stuff. I haven't seen like what that program of instruction looks like. I've just kind of seen some of the, the posts that they've done. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I am starting to see some of that stuff become more commonplace. But I really do think that's where uh, folks with a military background add the most value. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also like, there's also risk in that as well, because, you know, as always, we know we should vet our instructors. Um, and that can be, it's it's a certainly a challenge in marksmanship, but marksmanship is one of those things where it's like, dude, if I, if I see you shoot, like I, and I, I see you run drills where I understand what par looks like, uh, and you're doing that to a high standard, then I, I know that you are qualified to shoot it. We'll see if you have the ability to communicate how you shoot it and actually be a, an instructor, a trainer, and a coach, and a teacher. Um, but on the military side, like a DD-214 with a bunch of tabs and badges um, is an indicator, but it's not a guarantor necessarily of excellence. And, and so that's going to become a challenge. Absolutely. I think that I think that issue has, can, has been brought up I don't know directly in, in this conversation, but it has been brought up before of like, just because you have the 
experience doesn't make you the best instructor, right? So some sure. people just, you know, and that's not like a, that's not a dig on people. It's just that there are, we've all, we all, I'm, we've both met people who are fantastic performers, but when it comes oh, yeah. to the, the teaching side, it's, it's a little, it's a little like, okay, you need to polish that up right away. Just because you're fresh out of the military means that I think for guys who are getting out of like these high performance jobs, if they're going to go into a teaching position are going to hate it, they're going to absolutely hate it for the first six months. But the thing that you're going to want to focus on most is your method of delivery. Yeah. And, and it's going to be extracting or pulling back all the layers of like the military's culture of teaching hmm. and reintroducing their education platform into something that acknowledges the <clears throat> merits of their experience, but isn't, you know, like solely dependent on operations. And, 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 and one easy example would be is like, how hard is it? How, how, how effectively can you really describe um, the sound a flashbang makes when there's somebody on the other side of the room and they make a noise and you have to like, think about it, but you don't have time to think about it because you've already thrown it and you're getting ready to move. And, yeah. and so like, it's difficult, but it's doable. And, the hyperbole argument would be they're civilians. You don't have to yell at them like they're privates. I think the more keen argument is they don't have the baggage that you do coming from green or whatever, yeah. coming from Ranger Battalion, coming from the SEAL teams where you're not arguing with your prior cadre. You're actually talking to something that is a little bit closer to a tabula yeah. rasa, a little bit closer to a blank slate when it comes to that. So don't worry about having to etch away bad formation, start building something first. For sure. And they're customers, like they gave you their money, you know, so it's a, it's an entirely different uh, dynamic there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can't force them to stay till zero, whenever hundred or yeah. 13, 20 hundred, zero, 100 picking up brass. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, just like the, Pull out the melta saw. We just need to get rid of the ground. <laughs> the uh, no, the, the trend is positive. I, it, it'll be interesting to see now. Um, you know, it, it's not a secret that the military is having some recruiting pop problems. Some of that's cultural. Some of that's financial. Some of that is the end of a conflict. Uh, not a lot of motivators to to join. Some of that's certainly political uh, mm -hmm. as well. But there's there's a lot of matriculation from the force to the civilian world right now. Um, so I would forecast like a certainly an influx of folks who are looking to get into the industry, and it'll be to, you know interesting to see who emerges and who starts to um, become more public over the next you know year or so as that becomes kind of the standard. Yeah, I I hear in different forms of conversation that the for, well, what I mean for different, I mean from like you know somebody like Tim Pool mentioned every once in a while, or Joe Rogan, or or. Who else? I mean, it's just a political talking point right now that the military is having difficulty recruiting. And and I think like it's a convenient subject for people to bring in to plug in their certain political position, which sure whether it's true or not. But like but I but I remember when I when I joined the military, I, I wasn't I don't want to say I was politically motivated. I, I was I was more looking for like I wanted the sense of adventure and the skill set yeah. and the development and um, I wanted, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go straight to a desk job, which irony I'm more sitting at a desk right now, but, <laughs> um, yeah. so there was, I, I, I don't know. It's that, that my take on it is kind of fragmented. It's like, it's because we're, it's, we're just depressed, dude. 
So yeah, it's like it's so hard to put your finger on like what what the issue is, why folks are less inclined to serve right now than other times. And I've I've posed that question in public forums before. Social media probably is not the best indicator, uh, like broadly, because you you tend to get a pretty segmented response there. Um, it's difficult for me to put my finger on it, like, you know, where I'm at now, just because I'm, I don't, I'm not sitting in a recruiting station talking to, you know, young people coming in and asking questions. Um, but I do think we are kind of reaching the end of, you know, a period of conflict. We've been, you know, getting after it for 20 plus years at this point. Um, the volunteers that we do have are tired. Those volunteers who or those would-be volunteers considering service are, are seeing a you know a, a conflict that was ultimately unsuccessful in many regards at the national policy level. Uh, people like to be on a winning team, um, you know. But I look at historically, like the the force levels throughout history. Uh, whenever an existential threat has existed, you know, American volunteers have always risen to the occasion. I expect that that would be the case in the future. I hope that we don't find out. Um, but I am generally at ease if if history is an indicator, regardless of whatever the national politics are of the time, when that existential threat does arise, um, you know, people have always, you know, come and, and volunteered. And adversaries have gambled with that in the past and generally lost. Generally, sure. not, not every time, but, you know, generally lost out in the, and even in the short and long run. But I think that's also I think that might like hearken a little bit back to human nature of one of the uh, one of the attractions of being uh, one of the things that i remember better fondly about about being in the military was sort of letting the 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 noise of the circus kind of fade away i wasn't worried yeah. about taxes when i was on deployment i wasn't thinking about you know if i need to change the oil yeah. in my car or if i'm going to get groceries in the morning or or these kind of things i was like well you know i'm focused on my job and i'm doing my thing yeah. so yeah, the joke was always like we're, we're looking forward to the next trip to get a break, you know, to it's uh life is just simpler. Yeah, have you ever gone on vacation and come home tired? That's exactly. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, man, <laughs> I I remember coming home from deployment being like, I've got so much energy. Yeah. Let's yeah. go do all the things. Yeah, and then you go do an MLAT. <laughs> yeah, or like you just don't do any of them because you end up actually being tired and then you end up in yeah, a training cycle and you're like, oh no, mm. I don't have time. But, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. So, oh, yeah. But, yeah, so the, the gun culture reference to, um, like, video games, you said that you were a little bit more on, like, the simulation side. Mm -hmm. um, so the layman, my, the, the, my, my, my layman mind would be like, okay, simulation, I'm thinking something like, you know, goggles and, 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 and something that you can, like, you know, go to an arcade, but in a better condition. Uh, my military experience was basically like a laser gun that was broken. So no one. Yeah. Those things suck. And then, um, and then from like, from another opportunity experience opportunities, like I'm starting to see that kind of technology come out more mm -hmm. as, as more capable. And it seems like one of the main hindrances is just our technological capabilities our mechanical. Like we don't have the processing speed, but that's a problem that we think we can overcome. And so, what does that field look like right now? Yeah, I think, um, interestingly, I think we're seeing technology progress faster on the commercial side than the DOD side. Um, it just so happens that a, a couple nights ago this past weekend, my buddy Taylor 
Um, Taylor McCubbin, he's the, the CEO and co-founder of Chimera XR. It's one of these virtual reality training simulations. Um, their product has been developed primarily for law enforcement military. They haven't ruled out civilian market later, but they're a startup and they're kind of just getting going. Um, but his product's a, it's a pretty cool example of where the space is going and, and without sounding like, you know, I'm trying to shield my buddy's company. Cause there's a lot of other great companies doing the same thing in the space. This is just what I touched, um, you know, most recently. So, um, but their, their product is it's an Oculus quest. So like a commercial virtual reality headset. Um, and they use, uh, a, a replica AR 15 replica, like mock-up pistols, um, proper weight, you know, bolt cycle, um, you know, if you need to change a magazine in virtual reality, you actually activate the mag release, swap mags, like the whole deal. And their simulations are focused around high threat scenarios for law enforcement military. So think, you know, um, like a, a KLE gone wrong, uh, crisis response stuff for law enforcement, be it, you know, active shooter or de-escalation scenarios, shoot, no shoot kind of stuff, um, you know, lethal versus non-lethal options. Um, so in my mind, like products like that, and it, it, while the company is certainly in its nascent stage, the technology still has plenty of room to grow. Um, you can already see the value of it. And I, and I think the value of it coming from, you know, my my job in the military, I've been a leader since, you know, it started essentially. And, and one of my primary focuses has been developing training plans and looking for innovative ways to get the guys the highest quality resources and training possible so that they can go be successful and come home safely. Um, and so as an example with this kind of chimera gig, picture yourself back in battalion going through a like a CQB density. And yet you, you got to go out and zero your gun first. You zero your gun at day and you night and you do some PMI with your team leader, your squad leader back in the cages. Uh, then you go out and you do your CQB qual day and night and you have to go, you know, shoot and make sure you're safe to go in the shoot house. You might do a, a rule or an urban qual as well day and night to make sure you're good to go. Then you go to the shoot house and maybe before the shoot house, you put out some tape behind the cough and you knock out some tape drills and you rehearse your, you know, BD6 battle drill six stuff. And I'm sorry if I get into the jargony shit, I'll try to stop it. Um, then you go out to the, uh, the, the actual, you know, shoot house and you go through a walkthrough and a safety brief. And then you go through a blank iteration or a SIM iteration with, uh, with UTM rounds. And then after all that, you finally do your one live fire iteration where you actually get to do your ballistic breach, do your, you know, explosive breach, go through, shoot live rounds, clear the room and then recock. Um, mm -hmm. And then you wait for the sun to go down. You do it again at night. So you've just put in like a week plus worth of marksmanship and maneuver density culminating in what might be two live fire clearances of a shoot house. So where I think there's room in the digital space is adding complexity to those scenarios and rehearsing the decision making um, and just significantly increasing the number and the complexity of repetitions before you go live to the point where I think there, there will be a future live fire training is never and should never be replaced by digital ever. Um, force on force similarly should never be replaced by digital. Um, but I do think that in a training cycle that culminates with those inherently dangerous evolutions, you can get a lot of reps and a lot more complex stuff digitally before you go live. Um, so maybe that like that shoot house is recreated in a digital space. Your shoot, no shoot targets move every time you do that repetition. Um, you add targets that are actually moving in that shoot house. Um, and you do all your rehearsals in that shoot house. So we maybe one day get to a point where rather than going out and doing a dry iteration, the shoot house, your first iteration is live because you've done it dry virtually 
eight or 10 or a hundred times, whatever the case may be. And there's obvious applications of that same kind of technology um, in a deliberate kind of target if you understand what the target looks like and you can build a digital mock-up uh, and do rehearsals prior to, to execution. So it's pretty interesting to see where that stuff's trending. So like as a private, one of the things that I found frustrating, and this is probably, and, and this would be, you know, you've, you've got more years in, in military experience than I did, than I did when I got out, but even being like a young, young enlisted fellow, um, mm -hmm. one of the challenges that I saw that I would find frustrating was that like it, it, at times I would, I would see it at times it would look like that the, <clears throat> the leadership was more concerned about safety mm -hmm. than whatever else was the focus like what like in, in a training example let's do the shoot houses as, as, as an example it's like they're more concerned about it being a safe training environment than an effective training environment yep and like this is one of those things that like very quickly becomes contentious i think because well like you could come back with a, a, a you know like a witty quip and say well if it's not safe then people don't go home and then training's a failure like no that's not what we're talking about it's that when this this uh, the obsession with safety starts dictating the training method so that your training scars become so ingrained because you're concerned about safety uh that you start making errors you know on on sure. the field and like the there's this often cited um and it's possibly a little um heretical but there's this often cited um event where like you had the la i think it's the la police officers were using revolvers and then there was a shootout and i know this I, I, you know it's like sometimes it's it's the north hollywood shootout and the, the reason why i'm being a little vague on the specific details is because i actually have heard multiple accounts and i just mm -hmm. haven't done the research but the point is that i've heard the story more times than i've actually looked into like the exact event but the story remains consistent of officers were training on a flat range with revolvers. And every time they would shoot the gun, they would empty the, 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 the chamber, the, the sure. wheel into their hand and put those rounds in their pocket. And then they would keep going. And so that they didn't have to like pick up the brass. And this is where, again, it might be a little heretical, but that, that mentality of like, because they were so concerned about not safety, but like not having to clean up brass, yeah, they yeah. built a training scar, which then ended up getting them hurt in real life. Where that is maybe at best can be used as a metaphor. The real world example of it in the shoot house would be if you're so concerned about safety that your guys can no longer like do the job because of our artificially induced safety requirements. And, uh, that have no correlation to a real world example. And I, I, I guess I'd have to do a little bit more thinking to figure one out. But the reason yeah. why I wanted to bring that up is that like, how do you, how have you seen it within leadership on your end where you balance the, the combination of accomplishment and, and safety? Because yeah. eventually when I get to Yeah, I, I've seen it ebb and flow. Um, I think a lot of it depends on like the current unit leadership and the climate for sure. A lot of it also depends on just what unit it is. I've, I've seen like on, on the soft side, typically, you know, you can, you can push the limits a little bit further, certainly than on the conventional side. Some of that's like the mission is inherently more dangerous. And so the training must be up to par um, to mitigate risk on target later. So it's like, yeah, you should you should absolutely do everything you can to mitigate risk to a reasonable level in training as to not incur unnecessary risk to force. But there is a point where, as you identified, like that, 
you're you're inducing training scars and you you are limiting training to the extent that you are incurring unnecessary risk to force on target on that deployment. Um, and and so like that is no doubt a, a balance. Like ultimately those decisions in the military side come down to like the commander level, depending on what risk is incurred. That might be at the company commander level, might go up to the battalion, might go higher. Um, I, you know, in leadership positions, when I asked to do things that were outside the norm, because, you know, myself and, um, you know, the guys who I sought counsel with thought it was prudent to push the, the limits a little bit. Anytime I took that to my boss and explained the reason why, and then the actions I was taking to mitigate whatever that risk was, um, I, I always got the blessing. So if it was like, hey, boss, like, this live fire is better if we put a, a live frag in the bunker because the guys need to have confidence employing that munition. Um, never got a no on that. If it was, you know, if, if we want to do, uh, if we want to kind of like throw a curveball into our shoot house scenario a little bit and we want to like go do a traditional shoot house, but then like do a quick pause X, lock and show clear, and then come in and bring, you know, role players so we can transition to post assault stuff and do some tactical questioning and do some like live med training and stuff like that in the live fire environment. Um, as long as I had the right protocols in place, like that was, that was a go. So, so I haven't personally encountered stuff like that. Um, certainly like if you're doing a night live fire and you want to shoot five degrees off the front line trace of an assault element, maybe you're, uh, you're pushing a little bit too far. Uh, but there's no doubt that that line is great. I think the, the most obvious example is like the whole like low ready versus high ready or high port or high carry or what, you know, pick your weapon positioning and manipulation, uh, terminology. Um, we all grew up in shoot houses carrying our, our weapons low because we didn't want to well the reason ultimately was like you don't want to point guns at the people on the catwalk i think again this is like one of those often cited things i can't source um but i do see the logic in it and i, I think that it, it's probably fair to assess that the reason um that the army at least has pointed weapons at the ground and shoot houses is so we don't point weapons at people on the catwalks um, and while you can argue all day the validity of like high versus low. Um, I think there's probably a place for both, but I can't speak with expertise on it because I have been forbidden from carrying high for almost my entire career. Yeah. So I'll, I mean, I'll point that out real quickly is that like, I, 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 when I got out of the military, I found out that I guess high port or, you know, like a high ready was a little bit more mm -hmm. of a Navy, Navy thing than an army thing. And yeah. so it almost yep. became like, like a boat thing. Red versus boats is a really good example. Yeah. Or like when you get on a helicopter, you put the barrel down because the important yeah. bits are above you. Right. Yeah. And so like there are, there's definitely a lot of real world ways of answering that question. An easy one that's oftentimes cited is maybe you're in a multi-level breach and you have friendlies below you. You want to point the rifle up. I understand these things. These, these do make sense to me and they are decisions that individuals can make. But if you're training scar, and I think that was because uh, I was thinking of an example of it. I was thinking of uh, learning how to sh breach with a shotgun hmm. where uh, I think, but the, I, I'll, I'll maybe get into that if there's an, a good opportunity. But the, the high port versus low port going on the civilian side is and being a, on the citizen end. It's like I have very much so appreciated being able to switch frequently between the two appropriately yeah. and not having to worry about catwalks and people yelling because you know they're they're yelling at me because i'm pointing a gun at them while yelling at me while i'm supposed to be doing the thing down here yeah on, on the cqb floor which is valid because if i can have enough situational awareness i know another dirty term to pay attention to the <laughs> guy up there yelling at me and what i'm actually supposed to be doing generally speaking my you know my ram and my brain is probably big enough to handle it when i only have that to focus on we, we sure. want that to be the case but no, like uh, being high ready, having 
it's not like it's a faster, slower thing. There's just situations that you're moving in where it's better. And I don't yeah. know how to yeah. describe it, but I can demonstrate it. Like being able to oftentimes like being the one man, if like I'm, if I know I'm button hooking or, or I know I have, I've made certain decisions or, or being comfortable doing both is really the end goal is, is that it almost goes back to that kind of martial artsy jargon. That's like, yeah. it's an extension of your arm. Like I really want to be comfortable with my tools so that it doesn't matter whether I need to bring it down or bring it up, bringing it down is okay. It's they're just, they're yeah. just both. Okay. I don't, I, there's yeah. just no inherent advantage of one or the other. That's just universal. It's just, you should be able to do both and be mm -hmm. do, do, do both comfortably. Sometimes if, if I need to get really, really close up on my buddy and it's a tight, tight space, that barrel's going up because I can hug you and keep it crooked in my arm. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, yeah, and just, it's just like little things like that, like be able to do both. Yeah. And absolutely. Then, and make decisions. And so that's a training scar for sure. Yeah. And I think it's another one of those examples, like you take that scenario and then like you copy paste it into a digital environment and the risk or whatever pretend risk we're assuming by like pointing your gun up instead of down is now gone. Um, so it's an example of like one of those ways that, that you can rehearse those things that perhaps are not commonplace or permitted under live conditions because mm -hmm. of the risk. Yeah, and it also gets it. It also irks me a little bit, just a, just a little bit, that we have this rule, you know, this this gun, this, this rules of safety of like never point your weapon at anything you're not willing to destroy. Don't flag your buddy, and 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 when you get that like don't flag your buddy mentality, there is, I think there's an extremely broad, there's an extremely clear difference between. Um, moral and accidental like and i don't mean accidental as in like lackadaisical accidental as in like it grazed his fingers like okay like yeah i'm sorry it i i was throwing a flashbang the weapon was on safety kind of thing right but like yeah. and so what that looks like to me is what that really looks like as far as like a training mentality though is I really want to be confident enough in my team where if I know that he's not actively shooting at something, he's not going to accidentally start shooting up here. Yeah. Murphy's law will play an effect. So I'm going to add safety precautions like putting the weapon on safe, not having my finger on the trigger. But I, I would really want to m spend more time focusing on getting my guys up to that proficiency level where I'm, com I'm comfortable with my privates high carry or low carry and then sure when we're in a shoot house with cadre above us don't point it up okay that's fine but when we're alone both is acceptable yeah and so yeah, absolutely I, I want them to have that confidence in their capability with the tool and the technique and the uh, and the environment that they're assessing their ability to assess the environment that they can do that the frags is a probably a really good example i i can't remember the last time i threw a frag yeah yeah, and it's important too because like the, you don't want to do it live in combat <laughs> for your first time. Uh, I, I'm sure there's instances of that out there, uh, but it's oh. not desirable. Oh, I'm sure it's not. I just I think I've only thrown like three or four in my life. Yeah, they they yeah. scare me, but I yeah. I'm intrigued <laughs> by it. Like for know, sure, every, a, a civil like I, I cannot imagine what it would have what it'd be like like first of all never having never been in the military and being like I have a frag grenade. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you'd fully appreciate what you're holding or the, 
<laughs> the uh, the risk that's in your pocket. That's a um, really good point. They are generally safe. You know, they've got yeah. a, a thumb safety and a spoon and a pin, and it works generally as designed. But um, they don't accidentally yeah. go off. But I mean, it's yeah. just like it's like the joke of like if I ever had I I think about it myself now. Like I don't have young kids right now, but. Mm -hmm. If I ever ended up, if I ever had like a frag grenade, like a real frag grenade, like the, 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 for what, let's just say all the legal things get pulled back and like people in uh, civilians are allowed to own frags or whatever. Like, and I somehow had one. I think what I would do is I would put it in a case, lock that case and then put that case in a case and lock yeah. that case and put that <laughs> case in a gun safe, yeah. build a false floor, hide it under there just in case anything happened like yeah like ah because so much i'd have to redo all the ceilings <laughs> and the walls my neighbors yeah. would be complaining and then i'd have to explain them why yeah. all the windows well, it's always broken. loaded you can't like drop the mag you know it's just a frack it's <laughs> yeah, just like uh, uh, yeah. so they are it is a terrifying piece of equipment but it but at the same time you know people younger than both of us have used them effectively oh, yeah. without causing uh, collateral and it's 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 something kind so for sure yeah so then going back to the training thing and the idea of like training with vr um uh, do you think that within like do you think that going back to gun culture and its criticism of video games is like okay so video games are first in entertainment second something mm -hmm. else whereas like the real life is not entertainment first let's just say professional CQB training, whether it's you're a citizen receiving training or you're a teacher giving training or you're a student in the military or you're in the uh, police or whatever, like mm -hmm. the shoot house is never entertainment first. It's always something else first. Yeah. So do you think that there is, do you think that there would be an adverse effect or there would be um, concern? Let's just say that you're, you're, in a, you know, like you're in a, in a, in a unit that is not necessarily experimenting with, but being introduced to this sort of technology. Let's just use like the ideal VR concept mm -hmm. where you still have the fact that it's not reality because when you get shot, you don't die. Um, yep. But you do have the ability to change the environment, change factors, change equipment, induce malfunctions, all of the above, all the way up to the extent of with the extent of having with without having real life tissue scenarios. It's all the decision making problems. And so that you can separately focus on the skills. Do you think that there would be an adver an aversion to introducing it because it would make the shoot house too much fun? Um, and that's, I've actually, I, ha I have had this conversation or elements of it before. And it's like the whole fun versus training. Um, I don't think you have to make training fun. I think that like, there's a, a very nice, um, there's a nice balance. I, cause like when I reflect on, you know, the training that I've done in my past, oftentimes, like when I'm having a good time with the guys, like those are flash bold, bold memories, you know, in, in my, my life. And I, and I reflect on them very fondly. And I also remember them with excruciating detail down to like every decision that I had to make during that evolution, uh, and the outcomes of it. So I, I think that if training can also be fun, I think that that's a bonus. You don't want it to deteriorate into chaos though. It's like, you know, it's like when you have extra UTM rounds at the end of a day and you guys just go full chaos force on force, like it's fun, but the value is, is degrading. So I think if you treat the tool, um, as a, as a training aid, just like you do that UTM bolt that you put in your M4, um, then if you approach it with that same level of professionalism and seriousness, I, I think there, most of that risk 
is mitigated, or at least the value of the tool outweighs the potential risk uh, of the fun factor degrading training or causing you know bad habit development. Um, but you just have to pro- you know approach it professionally. A lot of it's like there's a there's a, a certain barrier to entry. Um, there are plenty of nerds among like the armed professional population. Um, but but there are not so many that like if you introduce a VR headset to every platoon, everyone's going to immediately have the ability to like throw it on and know how to use it. So like there's a barrier to entry factor. You got to learn the new technology. Um, there's going to be guys who are just like averse to it inherently because it's new and different and they have, you know, preconceived notions about what the technology represents or what it's capable of or what it is. Um, I'm of the belief that of the belief that like given the right technology, if you introduce that to the, it should sell itself. Like I should be able to hand um, a Ranger squad leader a piece of, you know, training equipment and be like, hey man, this is generally how it works. Let me know what you think. And I should have to say nothing more. And, you know, if he uh, finds himself in this digital environment that has a lot of like inherent benefits, um, it should be clear. He should be like, all right, I need this for all my guys. We're going to start running reps like right now. Um, And so when we get to that point, I think that that's like when you can say it's like safe to introduce to the uh, to the to the broader population. But I think there's also stuff out there that's like good right now. Um, And when you migrate over to the civilian side, like we talked about how tough it is to get, you know, CQB training is becoming more available, but it's still expensive uh, and there's still limited numbers of open enrollment courses. There's very few um, SUT courses, Um, you know, so there's already digital products that let you go do that stuff. SUT stands for, I actually, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like I I pulled out like my, my stack of like, okay, I don't remember this word. (laughs) Yeah. Just general small unit tactics. Like you're just patrolling and, you know, um, you know, patrol based stuff, objective rally point stuff, recon, ambush, raid, like basic, uh, squad attack, break contact, like, moving in fire team plus size elements like those those things are there's not a whole lot of open enrollment courses floating that stuff but if civilians want to get hands on that sort of things there's literature out there to get schooled up on it um you probably have acquaintances who are at least familiar um whether or not they're subject matter experts or have at least been exposed to it and you get that group of guys in a digital environment um and you can have a blast like uh, i you know i work a lot and I do this like side hustle thing for entertainment on the side because I enjoy it. And I'm also a dad and, you know, I've got two kids and my wife. So I, I'm very busy, but I still find, um, you know, enough time to probably an hour plus a week um, be able to go into virtual reality and get reps in with my friends. Sometimes it's fun. Um, sometimes, you know, we take it a lot more seriously. We use it as a training opportunity. It's given me a chance to like really introduce folks um to that environment and say, Hey, like, this is, uh, this is how, like, when I see this door, or this room, this is like, what's going through my mind and how I'm approaching it. Um, the door handles on this side of the door. So if I have the opportunity to stack on that side of the door and work it from this way to reduce my exposure, like that's how I'm going to do it. And, and you're in this extremely immersive digital environment where your full body is being tracked, uh, and you're able to actually visualize and show, um, you know, quote unquote, students, friends, acquaintances, um, what's going on. And and that's, you know, it's silly. It's nerdy. It's a game. Yes. But it's also the first time that these folks have been exposed to that sort of information. And I think that that has huge value um, for, you know, for folks who aren't ready to drop $1,200 and go walk around in the woods for a weekend, you know, with some of these uh, open enrollment courses. The, uh, the, the door handle side thing is probably a real, is, it seems like a really good example of like, mm-hmm. you can, 
you it's it's just you can think about it and and that uh, that is another example of something that i've i've seen used as kind of like a wizardry thing like yeah. oh how do you how do you tell which way the door opens like well you I don't I, now that i've been doing it so i'm like oh, oh hinges okay we're good yep or well i can't do it in here cuz this is my house i know where yeah. the doors are i know yep. how they turn so like it's habit but that's it's a good point of like oh the door handle's on this side i know at least without figuring out if it's a hinge or hinge whatever door Mm -hmm. i'm gonna move i'm gonna i'm gonna prefer i'm gonna prefer that side and that's sure. a good teaching tool i think that's great i i, I it, it's it's an interesting field because i wish i, I, I it's something that I'd, I'd like to have more time in but i i, I, I like the accessibility of it is always mm -hmm. i think i maybe the here's the question that i have i have to have answered is the is the barrier to entry for a citizen to not i'm not saying top of the line whatever yeah. the cutting like your basics stuff. But like getting into the VR side, like what does that look like? What's the cost of entry for something like that? Um, it's not that bad, man. It's uh, it is if you want to get like a portable headset that does not require like a you know a, a super nerdy gaming computer that has like a bunch of lights and stuff flashing on it, like that's sitting next to me on the floor right here. You can get a portable virtual reality headset. Um, the Quest Two is probably the best option. I think it's like two hundred and ninety nine bucks right now. Um, and then the software that I would recommend is ten dollars. So, okay. three hundred ten bucks, and you have like the entry level, what I would consider sufficient. Um, and the software I'm referring to for those who are either already in possession of this stuff or interested in it, um, it's a little game on the Quest Two called Tactical Assault VR. I know, I know. Um, however, in this thing, the, the developer who I've I've talked to quite a bit, just trying to get stuff added to it that I kind of desired has added a procedurally generated shoot house to it. So it's quite literally just like an open warehouse environment and you can scramble the rooms and it'll shuffle what that structure looks like every single time. Uh, so every single time you move through it, it is different and uh, you can add shoot, no shoots to it. You can have targets that'll actually try to fight back and move around. And it is a, it's a pretty powerful little tool for a low cost. All right. Sidebar question. What is the, what, what is something that you see in games right mm -hmm. that um that you see very commonly in games that just like that you know doesn't correlate to the real world and i'll go first it's laser placement on guns yeah everyone puts it on the right hand side they never put it on the top and i know yeah. you you know i know I, and and i'm saying this for a while when i was in battalion i kept it on i kept it on the right hand side and yeah that 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 doesn't happen and so yeah like, go no, that's a that's a that's a funny example. And some of these games are getting to the point where you can, I mean, you can really like customize your build to the like where gun nerds are buying these games because of how customizable they are. Like I can clone most of my real world firearms in some of these games. So like if you're just like a, a gear gun nerd, like yeah, it's a great outlet uh, for that. But um, man, I think like some of the funny things that I think do correlate is like silly weapon manipulation and nod stuff. Um, like in VR, uh, fumbling mag changes under pressure, like in you guys, you see guys like in a, a sim situation getting shot at and freaking out and they're struggling to activate their mag release, secure a new mag, like get it in the mag well, send the bolt forward and get back in the fight quickly. Meanwhile, like you take him to the range and the dude's a stud, but as soon as you add some pressure, it's like, oh shit, like this is hard. Uh, so you see that in digital environments quite a bit, uh, especially like in VR where you actually have to go through the mechanics, understand the weapons operation. Um, and, uh, I, I think some of like the silly stuff, it's probably just like the behavior 
um, if there's no repercussion, people just do stupid stuff. Um, yeah, you know, run through door die. Uh, they just they just act without <laughs> without regard for their own well being. But you know, you get the right group of guys, and, and a lot of that's mitigated. Yeah, it's it's always funny to see things because like. <clears throat> There's always something. I, another recent example would be like the, the the most recent Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two has like a mission in the game where you're using night vision, mm-hmm. and and um, and the representation of night vision is so bad. It's worse than <laughs> it's worse than the previous game. Yeah, it's it's got like this. It it it's like it's clearly it fe- it looks like they just kind of like did a black and white green wash or black mm. and white with blue wash, so it looks like a a pair of or a quad tube. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. White Foss, but then like every once in a while, the color like bleeds through, and so you're like, w-, like it's a you, filter. <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah, right. You're like, you're, you know, yeah. you've got the nods down. You look at a fire, and the fire is yellow, but everything else is bluish white, and you're like, ah, oh, man, you really missed the ball there. But it looks, it looks cool. It looks cool, and yeah, a lot of times developers will opt for like the more aesthetically appealing option because um, it's easier to sell you know, rather than like a more accurate representation. Some people go the other way, you know, and and they will make it as realistic as possible to the point where it hinders the experience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's software where, you know, you have to actually activate the safety selector to engage targets. So like, why am I pushing a button on my keyboard to, you know, deactivate the safety? Like it's, I understand what they're going for, but it's not adding anything to my experience. I've, I never got into the hyper-realism. I never quite did. And I know yeah. that, and, and I'm not trying to, this isn't like the derogatory of like the cringiness of things of like, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure you could, you can, I'm sure there are great, I know that I know of people who like play with other people online and they, they play like an armor three or something like that. And they've yeah. got like kind of squad designations and like, dude, that's, that's cool. And it's the, it's the same thing that you run into with the airsoft community. It's like, yeah, so, you know, you're dealing with people. Yep. People do people things. Yep. They vary greatly. <laughs> they, they vary greatly is one way of saying it. In in height, weight, and demeanor. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's always the way that it goes. Dude, I actually um. So you'll love this. In 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 true form, I I got. I wouldn't say I got into airsoft. I have been to three airsoft events. Um, and I enjoyed them. Uh, and it was one of those like friend of a friend kind of invited me out. And the the first one I went to was at, uh, you've probably been there, Guardian Center in Perry, Georgia. It's a big federal law enforcement training facility that you've probably trained at, or, you know, maybe sister platoons or companies trained at. Uh, I had trained there before, but then I went back for this giant airsoft event um, and wore basically like my privately purchased kit, like the same stuff I would go to the range in and train in on my own time. Um, took my little BB gun out there and did like a 300 B 300 force on force thing. Um, and got introduced to you know, some great folks out there. Um, admin results was out there and mill spec. And like, so I got tied in with all those dudes, uh, had a blast just like meeting good people and hanging mm-hmm. out. Um, airsoft is like, we could do an entire another podcast on it. There's like, there's inherent advantages to it. There's plenty of cringe as well. I think if you just like accept what it's going to be and go with the right people, um, there is, there's a lot that, uh, that you can enjoy out there. So it's, so I had a great experience with that. I ended up going down to another event in uh, New Mexico, like six months later, um, and ended up running with, uh, the guys from Haley strategic and Travis and, um, and, and that's like, you know, always had a lot of respect for him. It was great meeting him in person. Uh, again, like it's all about who you're with and like going with those two groups of people to those events 
was like a formative experience in my civilian development as a, you know, a gun nerd and a, a maneuver kind of enthusiast. Uh, so I, I would encourage folks if they have the right group of people and an interest in going to do like what I would consider to be recreational force on force, and they can tolerate some of the no doubt questionable things that they will see, they will at least have fun. And there is a chance that they will get something out of it. They will certainly get some PT out of it and they will have some kid adjustments to do when they come home at a bare minimum. Always. And that's, and that at a bare minimum is really hard to translate. Like if you're going to go, so I've never been to one, I'm guessing the one that you went out in New Mexico was like Milsim West. That was, uh, they were, so I've only done American Milsim, but similar okay. kind of deal. I don't, I don't, I actually don't know the yeah. factions. I don't know this. I don't know. Which yeah. yeah, yeah. It's Milsim West like does like goes full LARP, like patrol base, uh, oh. like 24 hour ops, like night stuff, the whole deal. American Milsim is a little bit more casual. Um, okay. You still get some day and tonight, but then you like have time to like go crush a beer at the Airbnb and like eat some chow and pass out for a couple hours and come back and keep going. Oh, okay. uh, they're both good. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, I, I, I think if I, every time I were to go out and do something like that, it was going to be no shit Ranger School patrol base activities. Yeah. I would probably only do like one or a year, one or a couple yeah. of a year. Cause it's, it's like, it's great to do, but the, yeah. the gear chant, cause like, I'm guessing you took plates out with you. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's a really, it's, not, it's the whole deal. That's a really big kicker for a lot of things. Like it's, I, I think that's one of the single best avenues, uh, uh, not avenues. I think that's one of the single best things that it adds value adds that something like like i would look at like a any sort of airsoft event is like yeah you, you're gonna have to wear this and move yeah. a lot under duress yeah and you're gonna find out exactly how well that fits because it's almost impossible to recreate any other way other than like you know military style yeah uh, what do you what do we call them stress shoots Okay, yeah, go stress shoots. carry this jerry can 20 miles and then go shoot the yeah. thing like oh okay. yeah yeah. And you got no skin left on your hips by the time you get there. Yeah. Yeah. No, so it's, it's really good for that stuff. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff about it. I, I don't know if you've watched the, um, like the dirty civilian stuff that's popped up over the last like week or so. I think they just, they just covered some, um, their Milsim experience. They put some great like lessons learned from their own training, uh, going out there. So I would encourage it. I, I think that, I think the stigma is starting to wash away of it at least a little bit. Um, you're still going to see some stuff that makes you go, huh? But you will have fun. Yeah. You're, yes. I mean, it is a commercially, it's a, it, it is a commercial recreational activity. And so mm -hmm. kind of like <clears throat> there was a criticism that was made of like the, the gun culture, the gun trends of like seven years ago is like seven years ago, everything was like red anodized aluminum and blah, 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 blah. It's like, yep. Yeah, well, you know, we we go through phases, dude. Like we, we 100% go through quite phases. quite literally it is a phase, mom. You know, yeah. and so like it it does it and I'm and like it's not to be it's not to reduce it down to, you know, thing like maybe maybe my my default problem is that I I I kind of go you know, like this too will pass kind of mentality of like okay, sure. focus on what's important. Um but I, uh, you know, focus on what I have influence over and what I, and I, I've said this before and I've got to find a better way to say it. When I, when I say something like focus, what I have influence on, it means not how big my follower count is or whatever that might be in like the influencer space kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. It's like, I know that I can go to this guy and be like, Hey, um, I can make your life better in this way, right? Like, oh, hey, you need that. I have this, right? It's almost like bartering, yeah. but a little bit more metaphysical. 
and and that's what i mean like i have i i can make my wife's life better i can make my life better i can make my family's life better in this way yeah. i can provide in this environment i can provide this kind of security in this environment i can provide this kind of thing whereas in this environment i i, I can't do anything i can't give advice to joe biden but i can i can be like you know I, I think I have a, a modicum of I've been out of the military long enough where I think I could explain it to somebody who wanted to join the military. Like mm -hmm. these are some of the things that you want to pay attention to. This is what you're going to be. You're going to, you're going to, you might focus on this. Like here's a one degree difference. Yeah. You're going to hear a lot of noise. Everyone's going to talk about stuff and it's going to be important for you to start figuring out how to sort through the private news network. Yeah without being consumed by it like yeah. enter entertain it but recognize you know the, sure. the, the the private one company over didn't die of heat exhaustion he just <laughs> he they didn't they didn't they didn't literally smoke somebody to death the last rotation it, it that's something that they say we'll be fine you know kind of we thing. will survive probably um probably yeah. and even if not it will be glorious it will write <laughs> yeah, exactly. books about us or at least an HBO <laughs> series, and I will have no clothes the entire yeah. time. Or someone will write our name in the bathroom stall. Um, how often do you get asked about the military stuff? You've been away from it for some time now. Um, I find myself, I, I have folks reach out pretty regularly, um, usually young guys, occasionally older dudes. When I say older, like older in the I'm going to join the military crowd, so you know, mid to late 20s, um, asking about whether or not they should join like do you, do you ever get fielded those questions anymore Ooh, anymore uh it has changed it has changed in frequency but not very often i'll, I'll say enough that it's i've been asked the question less probably less than 30 times in my life yeah so, so not not as not as much i i i think or you could also look at my life in the last three years i've been a little bit more public sure um i think up until about 2019 i was i was generally a very private person mm -hmm. um i mean it's like i went to school so i did get questions there i got out of the military went to college got asked questions there friends of friends friends of family would ask um or yeah friends of family would or, you know they're they're somebody they knew would ask um occasionally i do get people ask the question but not not so much that I have had to have any given any thought to like preparing an answer for it. Yeah. You know, like I, I know how I would answer yeah. the question, but I don't, I haven't, I'm not, it does not weary of it at all. Yeah. The, I think like I, I find myself getting asked it reasonably frequently at this stage. Um, and I found my like the way that I answer the question has evolved quite a bit, like over the last you know five to seven years. I think as I've just like matured a little bit, and um, I don't know. I so I, I'd be curious to see how you answer that question. But then um, I think like on my end, the I try to be just much more honest in the past. Like I was always bright eyed and bushy tailed um, historically. And I'm like, yeah, go get it, man. Like get your option 40 or 18 X contract and just like get fit and keep your chin up and don't be, you know, don't, uh, don't be weak and just like get through it and like go do the damn thing. Um, but I've done some like, usually I don't know these people. And so like my response inherently, ha it's not necessarily canned, but it is 
sort of rehearse. That's the difference um, between you and I is most of the people who have asked me that I've at least had some form of a connection to. Okay. Not okay. like, not like I knew them for 20 years or they were yeah. friends of mine. Yeah. Not, not like that, but like I had, I didn't necessarily have repertoire with them, but it was, it was very, it was very, very much. So not the case of zero, like, out of the blue hey mm -hmm. do you think i should join the military like that maybe has happened twice okay now that mm -hmm. makes more sense the um yeah i i just i guess i've just found myself trying to impart like the 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 gravity of the decision more so than than i did you know when i was a little bit younger um because I, I think like young folks have you know just like you and i did when we were young had this like sense of adventurism and just just wanted to go uh live an exciting life and, and go see the world kind of deal and, you know, go to war and all that stuff. Um, and, it, and I didn't really start feeling the repercussions of that decision until later in life, until it was affecting more than just me. And it was like kids and wife and lots of time away and rough training cycles uh, and lots of trips overseas. Um, and so like now I'm, I'm just much more careful, I think, with how I answer the question. And I don't necessarily know if adding that detail to my response to young people um has the desired effect because a lot of times they don't have that, you know, I, my family is not baggage. They don't have those responsibilities though, uh, at that stage in their life. So it's difficult to appreciate what they might be signing up for, I guess is, uh, is where I'm getting at. Not to throw us on a complete tangent. So forgive me. I think it's a good tangent. Cause I, there's something that I want to ask you about particularly, which is the way that the military has treated and me. And I don't mean the military is in like the big green organization mm -hmm. I'm talking about trends within the military in regards to relationships and family because and so this is a setup i'm gonna i'm gonna set up my question for you okay i'm gonna, I'm gonna answer yours okay and then i want to hear your answer then then we can move into this one but the setup question is while i was in the military it was very common to the extent of it was more it was the norm mm. for people to get married very young get yep. divorced very young uh and then enter into a sort of cyclical acceptance of uh marriage collapse marriage collapse marriage yeah. collapse this like you know th the 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 whether it's the trope of the platoon sergeant on his third marriage mm -hmm. and i'm not this isn't about whether or not that's right or it's well i'm sorry it's not it, there is an element about it being right or wrong but there is this there was the mentality that was um i can sacrifice my family for the team because my family's not going to die on the next deployment yeah. And it was this perpetual justification of maybe to an extent of neglect. Um, and I, and what I, I think I'm seeing is I, I think I'm seeing and to risk sounding a little bit hippy dippy. There's a bit more of a, a holistic approach to the soldier of like compromise at home leads to bad decision making overseas. Mm -hmm. And the platoon sergeant who yells at you and the chaplain who's barely around are human beings and it's a difficult question to answer and it's and and people make bad decisions and we forget that you know stable homes has been attacked for the last 30 years and yeah and there's all these complicated issues and stuff so like i wonder if you're seeing any difference within how the how leadership military units and everything from the squad leader up approaches the family because I wasn't married when I was in the military but I could tell you that the general opinion of like the wives guild was never good yeah <laughs> uh whatever the whatever they called them the wives club the wives guild yep. the you know the coven of witches yep, and yep, deep south yep. um 
with exceptions and you know we'd get i got i'd get to know a, a, a squad leader would eventually open up a little bit and you you know you get to meet his family and sure. or our platoon sergeant and there's always weird dynamics i'm not going down yeah. the full yeah, yeah it's yeah. all a big family but there's definitely things like you know it's it's it, the combination of youthful ignorance and then like it's easy to justify I and I'll make the easy one. It's really easy to be an alcoholic in the military because your buddies will keep you accountable. And as long as you show up to work and you do the good job, like he's a good guy. But then you're like, yeah, it's it's a lot of time and pain. So yeah. Um, yeah. So back to the question. So uh, so while I'm setting that one up, sure. Family family life balance, military explanations, goals, mm -hmm. objectives. Um, if you're familiar with Nathan Spearing, he 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 left a very prestigious unit to raise a family. Um, but that was a good example. So for me, how would I approach the question of, of joining the military? And, and the first, I think the first and foremost question is um, there's absolutely no reason why you have to join at 18, but if you're not willing to join by your twenties, then it might, then, then, I, then I would, I'd be careful. Yeah. I'm not saying that there aren't exceptions, but generally speaking, my experience with people who joined in their mid to late twenties were already undecided enough that they were, you know, it, it was, it, it ended up having an effect on them. Many of them were the exceptions to the rule, but not any of them. So there's no need that you have to leave at 18 and go join the military. It's certainly the norm. You're going to stand out one way or another, but the, so the single, the, I think the single most important thing when considering joining the military is being honest with yourself on your intentions. Very, and it's, it's, it's very hard to explain it in any way other than pretty deep introspection. Are you joining out of patriotism? What happens when that patriotism isn't rescinded? Are you joining out of a sense of adventure? Can you define it in any way, shape or form? Do you, is it even real? I mean, there was yeah. a time when I thought being in a being in Ranger Battalion meant hanging out of doors on Humvees, not wearing body armor, but a T-shirt, being like, "Woo, we win the yeah. wars!" You know, like <laughs> I I was at seventeen, I didn't know what the hell yeah. I was talking about. You know, like yeah. and, there, and and so like was I corrected? Oh yeah, 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 very quickly. You know, and and was I corrected before I got in the military? Yeah, 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 very quickly. But I also remember the first time I put on body armor, and I was like, "This is going to kill me. This is so restrictive. It's terrifying." Yeah. so first one that's, is the, that's good well this is in like the iba like basic training oh yeah like uh, you know okay now go do this obstacle course and like bro i you you sized luck, me bud. like three yeah. sizes i've got an extra large and i weigh 160 <laughs> pounds what are you talking about hey, look at that snowman so <laughs> unga bunga, unga bunga. so uh the first one is be very honest with your intentions of like what are you you really i and i would go to the extent of writing it out write it out what are the things that your goals are why is it that you're you know what is it that you're looking for and then and then i would suggest there's a, there's enough people out there to to you're, you're probably going to get rejected a few times but like look for somebody to give you some conversation about it because yeah. there's more there's more than one of us that are willing to do it and they're probably going to spill a bucket of trash on you and you try to figure out how to sort it out. And that's like, this is all my military experience. And this was like, and it's, they might be jaded and they might be whatever. So that second one is be, be slightly wary of what you read on the internet in regards to what your job is going to be like. And I, when I say be wary is, um, 
it's not you're not you can't really communicate everything in in even on a blog sure. or a, or a or a, a single show like this you know like even in a two hour podcast the third thing is do not look for it to give you a sense of purpose that's probably the hardest one to translate mm. so know your intentions seek a mentor and do not expect it to fulfill that void in your life of having a sense of purpose it might provide a avenue where you can put one in place, but it will not give you one. The army will not issue you a sense of discipline and commitment to a cause. You have to produce that yourself, and it takes a lot of time and suffering and introspection. So in a story, it would be, and I, I've told this story on, on a show earlier, with Bo Dobozinski. And it was, I remember when I graduated, I went, I, I went in Ranger, Rangers. I went straight into Ranger battalion. I had an option 40 contract, basic training, airborne school rip. Yes. I went to school. I went to rip, not rasp. And then, <laughs> um, and then entered into my company, did my deployment, did some, you know, introductory deployments, ended up going to Ranger school to get ready to take on some team leader time. And when I graduated Ranger school, I was so jaded and nihilistic because I thought mm. this was going to be a great, some fantastic rite of passage. And what I thought it was going to do is that when I graduated Ranger School, I would know who I was and where I was going and the world. <laughs> and, and I would have this laser like vision on the yeah. mission. And, 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 but, rat, and, and I would think, oh, the secret of the purpose would be found. Like, I am a ranger. I've got a tab and a scroll and a CIB and I've got another scroll because you got a deployment one and I've got, you know, deployments under my belt and I've got all these yeah. things. And I, and, and before then, and, and long before then, I thought that that was going to give me this sense of fulfillment that was going to make the rest of my life be one step, one clear minded step ahead of another. And what ended up happening when I graduated Ranger School is my parents, who were in a difficult time, financially difficult time, made a sacrifice to come down and visit us to see my graduation. And I straight up stole it from my father in the sense of, okay, I got my tab. Can we go now? I just want a burger. Mm -hmm. And I just, and I was completely jaded and completely nihilistic that like, graduating ranger school wasn't this great achievement i didn't have this sense of accomplishment and and that and that was it and so what i'm saying is that your decisions have consequences on other people so if you expect that the military is going to give you this this sense of purpose and direction that it's going to give you that sense of meaning in life no it's 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 not and and it's and that will hurt you because it will yeah. and, and it will hurt others but that's not to say don't join the military. I'm just saying don't join it for something it's not. And so it will provide, you know, what the military does is it is an economic benefit. You have years of time where you don't have to worry about finances. Sure, you're not rich, but your food's taken care of. I wish I had thought about more of this when I was younger. Your, your, you know, your general needs are taken care of. You have a lot of opportunities that though the army has a way of making them less than fun, you can, you know, and you, and it oh, will yeah. be, it will be miserable and it will and, they, and some of it's just miserable to be miserable for no reason other than seeing if you will quit because you don't like it. 
you know, and there and 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 you'll 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 meet dumb people. You will meet the amazingly dumbest people you've ever met. <laughs> and you'll yeah. meet you'll meet yeah. dis you'll meet disingenuous leadership and you will meet people that just make you go, this is gross. And 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 you'll expect to have like this camaraderie straight out of the A team. And it's like, no, that takes time and mm. deliberate attention to detail. And some might see your concern, your interest in camaraderie as weakness and some might accept it and some might ever, but the military is consisted of people. It is not a magic pill for meaning. And those are the three things is know your intentions, know why you're going there. Ha try to seek a mentor before you join. And then do not expect it to give you a sense of meaning. Just perhaps be an avenue where you get to make that act. Mm. So, no, I think that's yeah, that, that's a that's fantastic advice, and I, I will likely uh, plagiarize some of it in my future conversations. So I do appreciate you sharing it. You're welcome. You're you're, you're absolutely welcome to it because I, I'm it, you know me being able to put that on a book cover is not going to do a damn thing for me. <laughs> the uh, on the like the the family stuff, um, I generally concur with your assessment from that like period in time that you were talking about on family life and where the family ranked in the priority during service um, early in my service, which would have been late in your service. Um, I think that it has certainly gotten better over time. Uh, programs and systems only do so much. I mean, you can have all the FRG events in the world and you can preach achieving some degree of work-life balance as a talking point as much as you want. But the reality is training cycles, deployments, op tempo, all that stuff is going to trump the family every single time. Um, I still see the trend of, you know, people getting married young. I still see a trend of, a, you know, at least at first glance appears to be a higher than normal divorce rate. Um, certainly see kids being introduced into families much younger than is typical of my peers, uh, you know, that, uh, in the civilian world. Um, and I don't know how you necessarily can change all of that. It would, it would require just a massive culture shift. And I don't know if it would all be good or without consequence, um, because the nature of the job is such that it is extraordinarily demanding. You do have to maximize time to training to make sure that you're successful when you're doing the job for real. Uh, and you do have to go do the job, whether it's like a training deployment or a, you know, combat deployment or whatever the case may be, it, it comes with a lot of time away. Um, and more significantly more than I anticipated. Uh, you know, when, when I volunteered to serve, I, I certainly expected to go overseas. I certainly expected to train. I did not expect to miss as much, you know, of my, at that point, very young children's life that early. Um, and that all comes with like ex pretty significant consequences on the home front. And it, and it takes, um, like you can, there's all sorts of cliches you can say about military wives, but the reality is, for someone to be willing to put up with that, it does take a, a pretty special personality and a pretty special person. So like selecting the right individual to spend the rest of your life with is an important decision for all people, uh, you know, men and women alike. 
but there's certain attributes that have to exist if you're going to, you know, have a marriage and a family whenever you're in the military. I think that as a whole, the service is doing more to try to take care of their people. Some of that has been brought on by headlines that are less than ideal, particularly in, you know, housing has been like a, a major issue as of late. Um, there's been some big headlines in like water treatment on certain military installations. There's been issues with spouses who are, who have like professional certifications moving from one location to another and those certifications not being valid. So like if you're a teacher, um, you know, or if you're certified to practice law, uh, and you, you know, you have, uh, you know, spouse that are, that are doing one of those professions that require professional certification, then you take them out of that position, you put them in a new state and all of a sudden they can't do their job. So there's legislation, um, that has solved some of the professional certification stuff. Um, there is a ton of money coming in to fix a lot of the housing stuff. And then you're hearing like senior leaders talking about prioritizing the health of the force and taking care of families because they realize that amid the recruiting challenges, the only way to retain a force of sufficient size and quality is to take care of the people that are in it. So like on the whole, I do see like that major ship, you know, that major turning, uh, that, that turn occurring, uh, but it's a big ship and it turns slowly. Um, despite all of that goodness, that doesn't make any of it easier. Um, and it certainly, you know, it, Sure, you as the service member have to make some sacrifices, but that kind of comes with the territory and you shouldn't be looking for pity or anything else as a result of the sacrifices you make because you signed up for it and that's what you got to do and you do it, you know, and you come home and you can be, you know, have, uh, have pride in it and all that sort of stuff. But uh, you don't need to go moping around asking for people to feel sorry for what you volunteered to go do. However, your family, ne you know, didn't necessarily volunteer to go do the same thing. They're feeling a lot of the consequences of your own actions. While your own actions might be noble and good uh, and motivated for all of the right reasons, they're still, for better or worse, harming the people that you love most in the world to some degree. And that mm -hmm. is not good. Um, and so it's you, you have to do a little bit of mental gymnastics to justify that. And you also have to figure out where your personal threshold is and at what point the harm to those you love the most by virtue of your absence and actions and how those, you know, that profession might change you as a person, um, where that shifts to where you have to now prioritize and make a major career decision to, uh, to preserve those people. Uh, and it might mean, you know, giving up this thing that you love in the profession. So it's, it's a, it's a personal challenge. It is a balancing act. It is more complex than I could even hope to summarize in you know this conversation, um, on the whole, I think it is trending positively. It will never be easy. I yeah, no, I I I, I agree with you there. I, I I think I I really am up. I don't know. I'm not. I can't say I'm optimistic. Um, I'm looking for a word, but um, I look at you. You know, I look at maybe small small scenarios of. You know, it's sometimes it's easier to say I'm busy than mm -hmm. I have to go do a thing. Like the sense of urgency, the sense of urgency that the military imparts is, um, is it can 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 become a drug. I think it can become it can it can become a drug in the sense of like I well that's probably not even the best answer. It it can become a cheap answer to get out of things that you know you should be doing. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying that like I go to my wife and say I can't do the I can't mow the lawn. I have to go to whatever because i'm not in the military and i wasn't married when i was in the military but i think of it even now it's like 
don't bother me. Don't please don't bother me with that. I don't have time to think about it. I don't have mm. the mental space to think about it. And it's like, am I lying to myself? Am I saying I don't want to do this because and, and I'm justifying my refusal to address the elephant in the room because of something that some illusionary or real sense of urgency that's distorting my ability to evaluate what's going on. And that that's a hard one to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, it definitely requires some some introspection and, and like some empathy for yourself almost to like really understand those competing priorities mm -hmm. um and some just in some discipline the fact that you're even thinking about it though uh i would venture to guess that that is a reasonably uncommon trait um but an important one that that probably takes some time to develop uh and some maturity and some life experience yeah i, I don't maybe my experience in people is um this maybe my my pool of experience is smaller than you when it comes to other people i uh I, I don't know yet. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's not about, it's not yeah. really about comparison. It's just sort of like, I, I, I have this, I have this intellectual problem. Let me put it this way. <laughs> I have this intellectual problem with stupid people. And that is what do you do with stupid people? Because generally speaking, people aren't that dumb. It's usually yeah. something else, right? It's usually the the problem that I have with the ethical problem of stupid people is that like it. I know I love I, this as an ethical dilemma. By the way, this is oh fantastic. no, it's it's, it's it's like it's like it's 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 a serious problem because you because yeah. and I and I mean this. It's like it's it's relevant in politics. It's relevant in military. It's relevant in in any sort of ethical system of like hierarchies of competency. And you could get super Jordan Peterson about it. You could go full on military, like, hey, your your IQ is below 82. You're not you don't have a job here. You could do uh TBI related inju injuries and methodology. You could be, you know, DSM five, what is considered a mental mental whatever, you know, all these disillusionment to schizophrenia to like whatever. Like it's it, I get it. I don't mean to be completely sardonic about it, but it's like Okay, so here's the problem. First of all, if your strategy for dealing with people is calling them stupid, but you're always arguing with them, it probably means you're stupid because stupid people, <laughs> right? Like, like, yeah. like, because you're you're beginning with a series of assumptions and propositions, which which states something like a stupid person is a person who cannot learn from new information, and therefore I'm going to argue with you, knowing that I'm you're provide stupid, you that new information, yeah, which which <laughs> means that I am incapable of using wielding and or under I'm that which it's just like it implies that I am also like a fool. He who argues with fools is himself a fool right mm. which then you have to se separate the dilemma of like well what is the qualification of a fool and how far <laughs> do you go down to it and it's like man oh man oh man you know like mm. i would rather have somebody who is less capable and more ethical than somebody who is more capable and less ethical uh hollywood is a farce when it comes to the idea of the anti-hero that dude who is unethical like the roguish bounty hunter guy who helps you out because yeah he He's actually, but you're just using his, you know, no, you know what they end up doing? They just shank you. Like they don't, <laughs> sure. they don't you know, no, like, right. you don't get the upper hand on them because their entire ethos is on being a skeevy bastard. Mm -hmm. So like it's, it's, I, I get it. It's a little bit, it's, you know, if, if he's a, if that guy is not trustworthy, you're, you know, like it's, yeah. a, it's a serious issue. So, um, you know, but then so like it is this ethical dilemma, though, of, well, OK, 
you're human, therefore I can't treat you as less than human, correct. And so instead of, and, and I don't want to, and you don't want to be the, uh, the, 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 you don't want to fall into the traps of like the ivory tower mm. of like, oh, I'm, or, or, the, or, the, or the enlightened thinking you're the enlightened one, right? Because this is what you have with like cultists and ideologues yeah. is that they think, or, or conspiracy theorists, they all think they have the answer to the code. And it turns out to be some weird monomania, and you're like, ah, yeah, ah, mm. you know, the 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 they can't all be lying. Like you can't build your <laughs> metaphysics of the world that everything is a lie. Like you're first of all, you're not you're not Descartes, okay? Like let's break it to like it down. You're not Descartes. You don't have a cool last name, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> Um, and you're like, not everybody is Nietzsche and not everybody is, you know, but I'm not saying that nobody is and everyone could be, but it's a, it's a, it's a problem because then like, okay, so, so from a leadership perspective, it is, it is sort of like, okay, I need to have empathy and sympathy. I need to understand where you're at. And then also like recognize that you're a human being, which is neither of those that would be metaphysics. And then, but yet like. I, I, but, I, I don't want to do next. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, it's like the, the way that the ethical dilemma ends is tyranny or apathy. And you're like, mm. ah, neither of those are good. And yeah. so I think, you know, in, in, in essence, it's like the, 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 the application of wisdom is being able to navigate between those two, because if you engage in tyranny, then you, you basically forsake the virtue of any intelligence you have. But also, I'd say that tyranny is generally not a big brain thing. I think I think smart people are very rarely tyrannical. Um, but it does come into like even in in the, in the way of thinking it about it. This will be kind of the the, the end of the horror of the Dunning Kruger effect. <laughs> is that like is is that being able to being able to give grace without mocking somebody is probably a skill that could be more useful. And, and that is being able to look at somebody who's young and ambitious. And I, I think of, I think actually, I think of a mentor of mine who, when I was studying philosophy was like, Oh, I was down this line and I thought I had figured something out. And he just kind of like, boop, 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 kind of, kind of yeah, like just bumps. Like, you. Yeah. And, and, and now like seven years later, he's like, wow, you've really matured a lot. Like, Oh, thank you. And he's like, just took some nudges. He's like, it, it was pretty rough. You're all right now. <laughs> yeah. But I, awesome. you know, and so the, 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 the horror of the Dunning Kruger effect being like, you can't tell a dumb person they're dumb. Yeah. It, because it doesn't work and it doesn't, it doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for them. There's no utility in it. And so being able, a form of leadership is not to like, give people th give people authority over things that they aren't but then also not you know i don't know being able to discern these kind of decisions i got to think about it more but it's it's definitely a funny problem no it's it's a useful thought experiment and I'll, I'll have to like work my way through that mentally before i respond to to social media comments moving forward it, it could be a good practice to kind of I mean, like go through that thought experiment arrive at this moment and then choose whether or not to respond and if so how <laughs> I yeah well there's a reason why I'm not successful on Twitter because my <laughs> my it just I find it just it's it, it is what it is it's like okay it's, yeah I mean I'm sure there's people who have built their entire careers off of just being uh snapback guys and it's oh, like yeah. okay all right you know like 
Donald Trump, how many people built a literal <laughs> career just responding to him? Like, oh, yeah. it was just like, it's like, it's like, you're not, you're not even a person. You're a second order personality object invented off of another person who might as well be fictional to you. <laughs> so like, yes, yes, I am. I am. But I mean, hey, I do like me some destiny lore, not the <laughs> character, but the game. So, yeah. Oh, man, that's too good. Full circle started with Dunning Kruger and here we are. I know, right? Hopefully, hopefully it sounds like it's planned. Um, yeah, I'm right. I'm following the outline over here. I have an outline. Oh man, mine's <laughs> on this square paper. Um, so let's. Let, I, we got a few. We got a little bit left here. Let's kind of. I mm -hmm. wanted to a, a, a ask you one question that would be for me. This is. A, it's a bit personal on my own side, but also I think. I hope I'm not the only one who'd be interested in this one. You said something earlier in this podcast that I thought was interesting, and that was there are things that people who come from the military can bring back to the citizen world and and they're not always shooting. And so they're 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 being able to, you know, sometimes it's logistics, sometimes it's signal, sometimes it might it might be crypto security, it might be communication sure. security, it might be, you know, um figuring out how to d understand an insurgency i think would be a really good one for america right now we just had atlanta get attacked by a bunch of antifa yeah um you know and that. i mean i you know it's i i don't i know that there are still people who are probably paid to at this point say that antifa is not an organization and it's like you the evidence is mounting <laughs> no dude no, I, i'm gonna i'm just gonna blow it out of the water i've read their literature they know that they're lying to you. They know that you think they're lying. They, 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 like it's a lie. It's literally yeah. a, it's not a it's not a complicated thing. It's it would be the equivalent of saying, "Oh, the Taliban isn't an organization. It's just an idea." Yeah, there are people who work for the Taliban who do it unwittingly. There are people who have worked for the Taliban who did it under duress. There are people sure. who have worked for the who. There are people who have done things for ter organizations deemed as ter ter terrorist organizations, whatever. So I think I'm 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 digressing. You mentioned something earlier about being able to set up a training plan and your attitude, uh, not your attitude, but in the framework that we're talking about, you were referring to uh, mostly a military environment, right? As a, anyone, as you, as you move your way through leadership, one of the responsibilities of leadership is being able to look at the people that you're in charge of and develop their skills. A team leader needs to be able to develop the skills of his privates on how to reload a rifle, enter a doorway, clear a house run a radio not mm -hmm. maybe not program it but like you know know how what an I, this is how old i am know what an embitter is you know um <laughs> they're still floating and, around out there <laughs> you know like it, load a gustav belt fix a belt fed you know like and so a team leader has to do that and a squad leader yeah. passes things on to his team leaders like how to you know do this and then and 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 all the way up but then like on, on a certain leadership level you need to be able to establish a training plan because you cannot yourself instigate all levels of training from clearing and weapons maintenance to battle drill one alpha on a platoon level yep what would you recommend how would you present a training plan to somebody who is not in the military so the um yeah that's a great question and, and probably hopefully a valuable one the um i think people who are already building training plans for shooting and already building workout plans or mm -hmm. study plans in academia 
already have the foundation of designing like a successful plan. Um, you know, in, if you're, if you're looking at physical fitness, you're building a program that is probably, uh, you know, has equal parts, fitness and nutrition and sleep, um, and supplementation and your fitness plan is periodized in a way that, uh, balances focus on strength and endurance and flexibility in gymnastics, um, and power and speed. And so you've identified all of these priorities and then you've designed a progression that knocks out steps along the way to achieve your ultimate goal, whether that's going to compete in a fitness uh, you know, uh, competition or getting in a thousand pound club or a 35 minute five mile or whatever that goal is. So if you're already doing those things, you already have the foundation to build a individual training plan in, you know, marksmanship and, and some of these other important skills. Um, the way that the military approaches these things, you know, it, it's called unit training management. You develop a unit training plan uh, that begins with individual tasks at the soldier level, like, you know, uh, how to reload your weapon and how to do all of those like individual tasks that you identified whenever you posed the initial question. And it works from those individual tasks until you have a sufficient level of individual um, competency to grow into a collective task. So now that a group of soldiers in a fire team uh, have the ability to do all these basic individual level tasks, you can now elevate their training to a collective task at the fire team level. And maybe now we're teaching this fire team how to move in buddy team bounds. Um, and we're doing like break contact drills or we're doing, you know, inner and clear room and stuff at the fire team level. Once that fire team achieves a sufficient level of proficiency in their collective tasks at the fire team level, maneuvering four dudes, you go up to the squad level and you rinse, wash and repeat this process. Um, the most important part of that entire process is at the very start. You define your operational environment. You define what the end goal is. Over the last 20 years, oftentimes that is a, a culminating training event of some sort. Like we know we're going to a combat training center or a task force training exercise, uh, or we're going on a deployment and we're going to war. Um, if you know that you are, you know, so, so step one is identify what that is. Um, so for the individual, maybe that's like, uh, you know, my end goal is I want uh, 10 people that live within 30 miles of me. Uh, to be able to come together in a time of crisis and relieve suffering in our community, um, whether that's through providing um, medical care, whether that's through providing security, uh, whether that's through providing vehicle recovery operations, whether that's through uh, providing ba basic maintenance and essential services uh, if we're isolated in a rural area and government services are no longer reliable. Figure out what your end state is for you as an individual or for you as a small group of you know community leaders and and people who want to come together and do good and define that once you define that end state and you figure out what capabilities and resources and training are going to be required to achieve that end state and the requisite level of capability to respond to whatever that act or that incident is and then you start backwards planning so if I know that I need my 10 dudes that live within 30 or 40 miles to come together in 15 minutes with a certain amount of kit capable of doing a certain amount of things, I start looking at all of the logistical requirements and all of the you know equipment that would be required to, to do that thing. And then I look at all of the individual skills. So if we've got some medical requirements, I identify that one guy who's you know, a volunteer firefighter and a certified EMT, and he's my medical SME. And he tells us you know all of the medical equipment that needs to be dispersed across, you know, this, uh, this little area of rural America. 
then I have the one guy who's, you know, um, a retired Marine and, um, you know, he did some embassy time, um, you know, in the Middle East and he's comfortable with personal security detachment stuff and force protection. And he's my security guy. And he figures out um, what, how many dudes it's going to take to secure, you know, each one of our piece of land uh, in the event that there's some sort of civil unrest in our property and our, our families, our community is at risk. Uh, he's going to identify, you know, the stockages and the equipment and the posture and the behavior that would be appropriate for that threat environment. And he's going to be the the subject matter expert for that portion of the plan. And I just go around the room and I look at all of those individuals and where their specialties are, where their strengths are, where their we uh, weaknesses are. And I assign responsibility to those individuals for designing a plan that will cross level those skills across the organization. And then we meet regularly to you know, enhance the capability of all of these people and rehearse what this would look like and start knocking out each one of those individual tasks that culminate to collective tasks that eventually get you to your end state. So that's just like a conceptual kind of diagram for how I would approach it. Um, you know, if I was looking to develop that sort of capability in my community. No, that's, that's fantastic. I think a lot of gun culture sits at the cusp between the individual and the, and the collective task. I think we're. I think I, if I were to play this in a game of, if I were to look at this in in, in a game sense, which we've gotten the, we've figured out the individual controls. Now we're trying to figure out how to like work mm -hmm. as a team, and and part of that is you know capabilities as far as physical, as in like having guns and working yeah. cars and knowing how to run a radio. And you might have one guy who knows more about radios, but everyone is has some modicum of capacity. Yep. And I know that, but I think, and I think the one part that's, this is a testimony to humankind is that we're very good at the what as long, so long as we have the why we're very accomplished at the how, so long as we have the why and the why is where we find a lot of division. And that's just where it's going to always be because it's the closest to your heart. And it's the closest to your yep. ego, if you want to use that phrase. And so I, I get it. And there is a certain amount of understanding that like, but I, I, th I think I hope I'm, I'm optimistic within gun culture because I think we're at that cusp where yeah. some people have already breached well into it. They have their community groups, they have their organizations. And I don't mean organizations in the sense of like um, flags and countries and constitutions yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, like I know who I can rely on in my neighborhood. And, and that's a conscious thought now. It's no longer. It's no longer uh, a casual pipe dream that arises every once in a while. So, for sure, yeah, and I, I think the why is critically important. I think it's also the certainly the point of contention, um, and I feel like there's this, and I don't want to drag you know this on too long, but I, I do feel like there's this inclination to define this worst case apocalyptic scenario to justify why we own the things we own. Yeah, and I would just say to folks like that scenario does not have to be your end state. Um, and there's a hell of a lot of good that can be done short of that end state, nor should that end state, like, nor should that scenario be your desired end state. Um, like that, those, those like quiet whispers in the corner of the gun community that tend towards catastrophe, uh, and mayhem, um, are concerning to me. They're deeply concerning to me. Mm. And, and I think that as a whole, we are better off. Uh, when our communities and our, these little organizations of people are coming together to do those things that I listed. And that's like take care of each other and yes. protect their communities and provide services and care for their communities um, so that, you know, they're living in a, in a secure place and their property is secure and their kids, and their family uh, and their access to, you know, medicine and food and water and heat and electricity. 
uh, are cared for. Like that, that's where we add the most value. And, you know, frankly, that's where the community as a whole advances in the public discourse and grows um, and tending towards that, that mayhem and that catastrophe and that worst case scenario um, will only further ostracize and isolate. Uh, so I think the language we use and the, the, the actions that we take are critically important um, to advancing the, uh, the culture as a whole in a positive way. I agree with you. I agree with you in principle. I think that's a good way of putting it too, is that the issue of the, like the hoping and dreaming for the apocalypse, because at least it's not boring is a really cheap form of motivation that tends to run out before you're five miles up. And, and, and that's, I do, I definitely will agree with that. Um, I've seen it happen in people. I've seen it happen in my own life of like getting ready for using this pending apocalypse as some form of motivation is kind of a, a bandaid for something much bigger. And that's, you need that. It's hard to develop a sense of purpose, but it can be accomplished and it takes years and time and effort and dedication. And sometimes, you know, it's the friends we made along the way, but whatever, <laughs> as the, as the, as the phrase goes, well, um, I think the last thing then is you mentioned the phrase unit training management. Is there like an army manual or a handbook or something like this where you could look at some, something that? Yeah, that, it's Googleable. Um, it is? Okay. It's Googleable. I, I can't remember the FM offhand, which wow. makes me not a professional in this moment. But um, but yeah, no, just Google unit training management. You, the I mean, pubs are weird, man. Like it's all open source, it's all unclassed, but it's like, they vary so much in their yes. usefulness and they just get like buried in jargon and, you know, um, and concept rather than detail. Uh, oh, and and I, I'm, I'm afraid agree. that that is, that is what might be found <laughs> in okay. said publication, but it's worth a Google. Yeah. Okay. Check it out. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a good piece of information because even being able to look at like, what would somebody mm-hmm. be interested in and talk? Cause, cause I mean, again, you're talking about gun culture, which is kind of expanding into like radios and medical. I mean, it's been there yep. for a while, but like, I think it's, I think it's a good, I think it's a good direction. So some, maybe somebody's looking at going, I, I, I want, I need to pick up a new skill and I am not really sure where I'm going to place it. And so they're trying yeah. to organize it and it's, it's a yeah. process, but so be it. So, well, thanks. Is there anything you want to plug before we head out tonight? Is there, well, today, tonight, whatever time it is, I know when this is going <laughs> really. Yeah. This is- um, I'm, I'm easy to find um, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, just uh, controlled pairs and you will find me. Yeah, well, Justin, thank you very much for coming on the show and kind of, and having this discussion on the fusion of gun culture and video games and and how we think about you know like the leadership part was really helpful. I, I really did think that. I, I think that's um, quite a gem to have on here. So thank you very very much. I appreciate that. Great conversation. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. I really did enjoy it. Oh, good. I'm glad. Maybe we'll have you on again someday if there's a I new game. There's a new game or a new something, maybe not even a game related thing, but there's a something of, of relevance, you know, just you can reach out and we'll see what time things work out for. for sure. um, but yeah, absolutely. Well, then in closing, for those who are still listening, this has been the Redacted Culture Cast. Uh, we are thankful for your time and we hope that uh, through conversations like this, we continue to elevate. Well, that's not, that's even that's a little too. Uh, let's see for my Minnesota listeners. That's a little too Edina for me. Uh <clears throat> Let's just, yeah, let's just end there because now <laughs> I, w- I will walk away in shame. But no, how dare you? Uh, but yeah, for those who are listening, thank you very much. I do, I really appreciate the time. And as gun culture continues to grow and mature, I think I'm glad that we get to be a part, uh, you know, together on this journey. So we'll talk to you later and we'll see you soon. <laughs>